So today I'd like to preach on our second reading from St. Paul to Timothy. And as we know, the second reading that we have on Sunday Masses is generally from an epistle or a book in the New Testament that is not a gospel. And the guy who wrote most of those is St. Paul. So St. Paul wrote these letters. And he would write them because St. Paul would go, he's a missionary, and he was commissioned by the resurrected Jesus. Paul didn't come to know Jesus until after the early church was established. Paul was about Jesus' age, though. He would have been born within a couple years of Jesus. And so after the, the resurrected Christ called him, Paul completely changed his life calling. He was on his way to become a rabbi, very well-respected rabbi. He goes out and, and he aligns himself with Peter, who is the first bishop of Rome, and the head of the apostles, and then the other apostles who were still living at the time. And he goes out and he starts all these churches, these little communities around the world. And so Paul and the early apostles are in the habit of starting these churches and spreading the gospel. So Paul had spent like two or three or four years maybe in one particular area. And then after he had established a church... In that area, he would move on to another place, start another church, different region. But he would write letters. I mean, he would grow tremendously close, we could imagine, with all the people there present in these communities that he established, in these churches. And so they would, of course, once he left, have major issues that they had to solve and deal with. And so what Paul would do is he would write letters Often, back and forth with these communities. And a few people held on to those letters. And that's what we have here. And that's what we have in every every time we basically have a second reading at Mass on Sunday. These letters from Paul to these communities. In this particular instance, Paul has written a letter to his young protege, who he was a mentor to, who's also a bishop, probably in his 20s. His name is Timothy. And so Paul is helping guide Timothy as Timothy is is guiding this young church. And this exhortation that Paul gives to Timothy is about prayer. And it's very insightful. First of all, I ask you to offer supplications, prayers, petitions, thanksgivings for everyone even for kings and authority. Think here of maybe politicians that we ourselves very much recognize are going directly against what what we believe in and what we know to be right as Christians. As, of course, the Roman emperor would have have been at that time and the various uh, sub-governors of the Roman Empire. An empire, emperor. And so Paul is saying to pray for them, and he's also saying to offer these various forms of prayer. 
This is good and pleasing to God our Savior who wills that everyone be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and man and the the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all. Okay. From our point of view as a church, this has not changed. There is one religion that is the true religion. And that is the religion that we are a part of, the the Catholic Church. That is the true, right religion. There is a very common belief, and I think this is truly kind of a part of the watering down, and just kind of a, a little just strategy from the enemy, that all religions essentially guide us or at least the main religions of the world, guide us to the same place. That has not ever been a biblical teaching. That has not ever been a church teaching. That is certainly not what the early apostles who knew Jesus himself, or St. Paul here, spended their lives to completely and utterly give. They, they were on mission, and they were on mission, and they had no issues in St. Paul's case, in, in St. John's case, not raising a family. Those two men were celibate, like me, priests. They forsaked marriage for the sake of the kingdom of God in order to, because they were commissioned by Christ in this way, in order to completely... In, and utterly give everything for the salvation of the world. To bring as many people to Christ and to heaven, ultimately, as possible. And to understand what heaven is, we always have to understand it begins now on earth. And it's also an eternal reality. Hell also begins here on earth. It is an eternal reality. It begins now, it ends in eternity. And depending on not, if, if we repent in our lives as human beings, we, we, we go to heaven or we go to hell. This is very biblical. This is the motivation for, for Paul. This isn't just a nice community faith or um, get-together, such as various ways that we try to get together as communities that are very good things. This is, this is a mission that Paul is after right now. Now, that being said, and I don't want to get into the absolute weeds here, um, but I'd be willing to talk with anybody who would like to, um, does that mean that a person who is not a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ explicitly is not capable of being saved. No, the church does not teach that. They may not even know that they will be saved by Jesus Christ when they die. But in so much as they follow the truth, um, they are following Jesus implicitly. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so an orientation and a movement towards those things for a person who, as Paul says here, is ignorant of the truth, 
it's still possible for them to be saved. Is it easier if they get baptized and they live according to the truth that God has revealed to us when he came down from earth? Yes. Absolutely. Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all. This was the testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed preacher and apostle. I'm speaking the truth. I'm not lying. It is my wish, then, that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. And so the last point I want to make here is what we're doing right now and here. Our faith itself is not an ideology. It is not an ideology. It's not like if you believe in something, um, you're, you're, you're following the right thing, such as like being a Democrat or Republican. We believe these policies are right. And so we're right, and we have a kind of a concept in modernity where, and this is particular to social media, that when people think that they're being virtuous because they take the right position on something, a moral position on something, that's not being virtuous. Being virtuous is action-based. It's action-based. It's not just having a stance on something. It's like if, if I know that the Catholic Church... And the Catholic religion, founded by Christ, extended through the ages, through the apostles and Peter, if I know that's the truth, that is not salvation right there. Salvation is an re- ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. What's Jesus going to say to us when we die? He's going to say the same thing to all of us. He's either going to say, I knew you, and well done, good and faithful servant, or he's going to say, I didn't know you. I, I don't know who you are. We were not friends. And so Paul is admonishing us to pray for everyone. The ultimate form of prayer, the number one most powerful prayer that we can pray, is the prayer that we are praying right now, currently, in the Mass. The Mass itself is a participation in the one event that was the most powerful event. There is one mediator, Paul says, between God and man, Jesus Christ. One mediator. That means he is the bridge. And the great event that is basically the thesis of why Jesus came, is his crucifixion and resurrection. And so it is, it is through the crucifixion and through the resurrection that all of us receive salvation. What we do at Mass, and so if we're, we're listening to the Eucharistic prayer, the part where we, uh, all of us, right, generally, um, we're so used to hearing it, sometimes it's the part that we have the most propensity to zone out. So the Eucharistic prayer, which is when we're all kneeling and we're offering prayers to God, that in itself is a participation, like we're going back in time and we're receiving from the merits that Jesus won for us. And guess what we're doing during that as well? We're praying for all the things that Paul just said in this letter. We're offering prayers 
supplications, petitions, thanksgivings to be offered for everyone. Not just for us who are here in this church. We're praying for the whole church. We're praying around the world. The persecuted church. The churches that are doing well. We're praying for all people everywhere. We're praying for those who have died. That the Lord might have mercy on them. We're praying for those who have no knowledge of God whatsoever. And all the angels and saints are joining us at every single Mass to offer these prayers and assist us in these prayers. Jesus, we ask you to bless us and guide us and help us to enter deeply into the mystery that you have brought us into especially in the Mass, and help us to have big hearts. Help us to offer prayers regularly for the salvation of as many souls as possible. And help us, Lord, to to be really close with Jesus and, and be a bridge ourselves to the Lord. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And let us take a few moments in silent prayer to listen to and speak with the Lord in our hearts.